Welcome to Brand New Doctor. My name is Rola Carajo, doctor turned healthcare graphic designer and brand strategist. This is the show where we share big ideas and look for inspiration in all kinds of places to help you grow a fulfilling career in healthcare. Following a path to success is one thing, but carving your own is another. So this is for you if you want to go beyond book smart. I am joined today by the brilliant Erica Young. She is incredibly knowledgeable about networks, how we shape them, and how they support our personal development and growth. She applies the principles of network science and venture capital to drive startup growth and cultivate systemic change. Erica really sits at the intersection of design and entrepreneurship. She has gone from designing products, including football shoes and robots, to today designing culture companies, and networks. She is also the founder of The Reliance Project, where she helps people and organizations understand how networks shape our well-being, relationships, and community. Erica shares techniques from the fields of computer science, physics, and sociology to provide insights and understanding of our personal networks. Not only that, she shows us how these insights can be turned into habits, processes, or products and services that drive real change. So welcome to the show, Erica. It is such a pleasure to speak with you. There is just so much of what you do in understanding and you know shaping networks that is relevant to how we reimagine our careers and how organizations in the health space can be reimagined as well. So I'm really excited to dive into this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. It's true. And thank you for such a thorough and I feel like I'm worried I'm not going to be able to live up to that introduction, but I'm, I'm going to do my best. Oh, of course. Of course. I, you know, I've done, I've done a fair amount of research myself. I watched some of your, your videos on YouTube and just seen you speaking. And it's just really exciting for me because I, I've, I've often thought about networks myself in terms of my friendship circle and such. And so it's really cool to actually hear these ideas articulated and expanded upon in such a in a scientific way, actually, it's like, wow, this is a real thing. It's not just in my head. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, really grateful that you could spend some time with me today. I think that's what's interesting about that is the way I tend to describe it to people is to say, we thought we could, we knew how to sleep and we thought we knew how to breathe, but then books came out that basically proved otherwise. And it's like social stuff is, is very similar. Like there actually is a science behind this and there's a way to do it. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect network, but there's absolutely um, some intentional ways that, that can make you have a more healthy, balanced, successful life for, for whatever your definition of success is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's such an interesting way to put it. You can, wherever you put your attention and you, you know, study whatever you study, you can improve upon. So, so why not study these important things for us as well, like our, our social networks? So I want to just start with, you know, your story. I think it's pretty interesting how you've ended up doing what you do as well. So can you share a bit of your story and how it is that your network of the people that you know have shaped the journey that you've been on with your career? Yeah. I mean, in fact, sometimes when I do introductions, like if I speak at an MBA program or an executive program, I will often tell my story through the lens of weak ties, which is basically very tenuous relationships that you have that end up having a huge impact um, on your life. And so um, basically the way I got my first job in design, 9-11 had just occurred and I 
Um, there were no job opportunities anywhere. And I ended up working as a receptionist in a place that sold tiles. And the designer who designed the bathrooms and the kitchens and whatnot that worked in the place had gone to university with a woman who was an industrial designer. And she was willing to reach out to that woman and get me an interview, which is basically how I got my first job in design, right? And if that's not tenuous, I don't know what is. Um, but I also had an experience later in my career where I was an Airbnb host and a woman who was a, a very famous entrepreneur and founder of, uh, of a startup came and stayed in my home because she was speaking at a conference. And she went to a cocktail party and met a founder of another company. And she said, you know what? I think you'd enjoy meeting this person. I think you would like to work with him. And I ended up becoming the chief product officer of his company. And so, and, you know, last but not least, the, the way I ended up in London and in investor in investment capital uh, in the, um, or sorry, in, in venture capital in the first place was I was the MC of a conference in Hong Kong. And I introduced the CEO of that venture capital firm on stage. And we connected on LinkedIn and six months later, you know, he came back through town and he basically said, hey, why don't you move to London and work for us? So that specific aspect of, of networks has played a very critical role in my own life. But I think it's, it's really noticing the role that, that networks were having in my own life and then wanting to do almost like a, a personal project to study that more deeply then noticing how that related to the work I was doing and wanting to bring that more into my, my professional life is really how I ended up doing this in a, in a professional capacity. That is incredible. I, I love that. And you know what it makes me think, you know, with this idea of weak ties, oftentimes being the ones that that have a significant impact on us. It just shows that you should just always be a good person. Just always be nice. <laughs> just, yeah, because you, you just, you never know what will, what will happen or who you'll meet and who they might know and who they could connect you to. I want to dive a little bit more into personal networks, but I think it would be just great to talk a little bit more about your work in venture capital because we have some listeners who are quite entrepreneurial as well. I know you've worked extensively in venture capital, so there's plenty that you've learned, but I'd just love to know what stands out to you as kind of the major takeaway from your work about creating networks that support the growth of careers and companies and such. Sure, sure. Well, I think probably the most like tangible and easy one to to understand um, almost immediately is at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of our entrepreneurs didn't know how to deal with the challenges that they were facing, right? And they couldn't Google the answer because it wasn't a standard, oh, I'm dealing with product market fit issues, so I don't know what to put in a pitch deck. It was like, actually this pandemic is unfolding and I don't know what to do about how to sell in a remote context or what do I do about remote working or how do I handle, you know, employees challenges during this time. And so um, we actually partnered with a, um, an early stage startup called Orbit and we um, used them to help match our founders to each other so that they could share their experiences and their challenges with each other because that peer learning is really where the opportunities lie to actually navigate that sort of uncertainty and ambiguity. And that became one of our most successful programs. And we matched, I mean, in the first year, I think it was something like 500 matches or something insane. And that could be multiple people in the organization, not only the founder, um, but the MPS score related to just this program was like in the high 90s. For those who don't know, it's a net promoter score 
And it's a very common way to assess. It's, it's basically, you know, when you have a service and somebody says, how likely are you this, are you to recommend this to a friend? And people might give a nine or a 10, right? Or they might give like a, you know, two or three or, or somewhere in the middle. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's the, the, the score that we were, that we were assessing. Um, but it was, yeah, it was quite a powerful program and, um, and continued for, for years after that. I mean, it, it makes me think about, you know, on, on a personal basis as well in my, in my career, um, I've had kind of changes, um, you know, changing from being a doctor and now I'm a designer. I, I've had to face a lot of uncertainty. And I think that is the, the, the most frightening thing. So when you said about the pandemic as well, um, how people, they don't even know what to Google. <laughs> we don't know what's happening. And it's that kind of emotional anxiety of just of not knowing what's going to happen and how can you even prepare for that and I think you're so right doubling down on building the networks around you so that you can talk to people who you can rely on and depend on or can give you advice is probably the most useful thing I think in any time of uncertainty it's certainly been the case for me with my career if I didn't have people to talk to about the things that I was concerned about I, I don't know that I would have gotten to where I am today. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that being able to navigate that experience together, right? So if you have peers that are also on that journey, it's quite a powerful um, sounding board, right? That helps you navigate that. So that's wonderful that you do that. And I would encourage, I mean, there's some people who say you should have like a personal uh, board of directors, right? Like have that set of people that you go to when you're trying to make significant uh, decisions in your life. And that can be formal or informal, but just having those people that you really trust to have a different perspective and bring that perspective to bear um, and who genuinely care about your well-being and success is, uh, is a really powerful thing. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said about curating those people very specifically. I like that, that word, the idea of a board of directors because you choose these people. They're not just incidental people who are just walking in and out of your life. You point people and we, we should also take that approach when it comes to the people that we ask for advice and help from, right? So back to personal networks again. Can you talk about the different types of personal networks? I really enjoy this, by the way, because for me, I've, I've always thought of my friendship group as pretty disparate. I have lots of, I always say satellite friends in different places and they don't necessarily know each other. And so you've outlined three major types of networks from, you know, all of the research that you read. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And I, actually this isn't mine. It's a uh, Dr. Janice McCabe. Um, she came up with this, this concept of um, what she calls the tight knitter, which is where most of your friends know each other um, or the compartmentalizer, um, which is where you have groups of friends, like your football friends and your work friends and your school friends, but they don't interact with each other. Um, but you're sort of the common denominator of those three groups or four groups or however many you're a part of. And the third one, as you described for yourself, is, is what she calls the sampler, which is basically you have these individual friends that and most of them do not know each other because they all come from different parts of your life. Like you've sort of collected friends along the way. Um, and I think the, it's interesting how these, these friendship groups or these friendship shapes, um, impact the way you engage with the world, right. Um, and what opportunities it creates or ways in which it might hold you back. And so, um, I often encourage people and it doesn't take a lot of time, but to just make a little map of the 
let, let's say just the people you've spoken to in the last week or the last two weeks, depending on how many people that are, that, that is, and see how many of those people actually know each other. And that will give you a sense of, okay, how diverse is the information I'm accessing? You know, how inbred or how much groupthink is likely going on within this group of people that I spend time with. Um, so, uh, so it's not something that's, I mean, some people can figure it out off the top of their head just because they, they, they think in that way, but others, they, they need to, to make a little drawing for themselves. Yeah, I'm pretty visual myself. So it's, I, I found this to be quite a fun exercise to, to take out. And yeah, it's, it's, it's actually really, really interesting. It's also great for when you think, when you look at these friends, if, if, if they're not connected to each other, thinking about how you might want to connect these people, actually, they have great interests and such. And seeing that out there on the paper, you can start to see what connections you're you may be missing out on or you know you could you could nurture as well so it's a it's a great exercise so I, I I guess you know we're talking about these three kind of major types and there's a lot of science behind this you you shared some of the research that you've read from other kind of researchers about the benefits of say a tight-knit versus compartmentalized versus sampler I just wonder how might we think about shaping our network if we want to explore our career options, for example? Well, I would say in any scenario where you're looking, you're like sort of in explore mode, the diversity of the connections that you have, the more beneficial it is, right? So the more new, we can call them weak ties, we can we can call them, you know, the sampler style, so individual relationships. but the the fewer redundant ties you have, the better in those scenarios, right? And obviously that's optimizing for a specific outcome, but that just means the likelihood that they are more diverse in all the different ways that diversity is valuable, right, is much higher. Um, and that their perspectives are likely to be to be different as well. And so um I would say whether you're looking for a job, whether you're looking for diverse perspectives, when you're looking, when you're sort of at the explore stage of a of an entrepreneurial endeavor, and you're looking for feedback and and ideas and and um, new relation, you know, new connections, new opportunities, any of those scenarios, diversity of ties is is incredibly valuable. Mm, yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. I think I, I talk to a lot of people who are interested in changing their career in some way, either leaving entirely or they want to do some other kind of project. Um, and that's often, you know, people coming from a medical background. And that's always been kind of my biggest, my biggest takeaway from, from my experience as well, is that when I wanted to do something different, I had to start talking to different kinds of people as well. Um, it's just, it's not only helpful in terms of the opportunities out there, but also just the mindsets towards whether the types of things you could do because you're talking to people who are like, yes, that's possible. I've seen it before. And that's really encouraging. And that spurs you on. I suppose what I, what I find is, um, it, you know, in medicine is a very insular kind of environment. Everybody kind of knows each other or that, you know, they've all kind of been through the same route. And I, I wonder what you would say for these kinds of groups of people in terms of branching out. I guess what I've noticed was just, going to different places. I know it's really simple, but being in a, a different place <laughs> where you don't normally meet the, the same type of people as you is, is a really simple tip, but I don't know if you had any others. 
Well, I mean, I think the the interesting thing, just to reiterate your point, is like, and I, again, not a doctor, but you spend an awful lot of time in a hospital, right? Or, or in your work environment, right? It's long shifts. You're you're really deeply embedded among the group of people that you are working with. You also went to school for many, many years with people that are also on the exact same journey, right? So you can imagine that the proportion of your network that is steeped in that same way of thinking and that same view of the world and those same experiences and skills and competencies is right. Like it's a dominant portion of your network. And so to get out of that, um, you need either to put yourself in a completely different environment where you're going to meet people that are different than those people, or you're going to ask for direct introductions because obviously that's your work context, but you might have a partner that's not in that world, or you might have a colleague who has a partner that's not in that world, or you might have, you know what I mean? Like there might be, or other people that just happen to be in your community, family members, et cetera. But I think that's asking for direct introductions to people who are in, you know, different spaces, putting yourself in a new environment, whether that be a physical space or an education program or an online course or or whatever. Um, there are, you know, putting yourself into any sort of peer learning type of uh, community, right? So there's a lot of um, online support groups for peer learning communities, things like that. Even you can get on Slack or there are a lot of communities that show up on, on WhatsApp, but just finding an outlet that is not, you know, that dominant uh, perspective on the world, it's really, really valuable. Yeah. Find, just find someone who doesn't do what you do. <laughs> you know, with medicine, to do a job, if someone has a specific role or something, somebody else told them that, oh, now you're qualified enough to do it. And that's not how the rest of the world necessarily works, in, not, not in every single domain. So it's great to hear someone has a very niche specific kind of job. What did you do? How did you get into that position? And I'm, I'm I'm certain they'll have some interesting story about how their network helped them get there as well. So, so yeah, great. Some great tips. I mean, and even like the, a very basic example, um, like a lot of people, if they're, if they come from, let's say the corporate world, they could be finance, they could be law, they could be who knows, and they want to make a transition in their career. They often go back and get an MBA, right? Because there you're being dropped into a pool of people who come from many different backgrounds Maybe that's not the most diverse because often they are from a fairly corporate context, but but it is more expansive than than being in just the sector that they've been in. So that's a, a very common or going back and getting a master's, right? Um, not that I necessarily advocate that um, personally, but um, but I think that if you're finding it hard to pry yourself out of of a particular network, then that's a, a fairly quick fix. Yeah, for sure. I've I've actually heard people say that when you get an MBA, you're not really paying for the education, you're paying for the connections that you're making, actually. And yeah, I, I definitely had thought if if I were to go back to medical school, I would, and you know, this is a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast as well, how would you kind of change medical education? But if I were to go back to medical school, I would look at it more as a network building exercise, more so than you know, just the education side of things, which is obviously equally important, but I would really, really take advantage of the, just the hotbed of academic minds and, you know, 
create ideas and insights that are out there and just diversify as much as possible. The medical school campus is is all kind of health focused, but there are other campuses as well. And there's like amazing connections to be made with the humanities as well. So that's, that's kind of what I would do. If I could go back, I would really, really take advantage of that. And I still try to, with my alumni network, try and make the most of the connection I still have with my university. So in any case, I wanted to talk a little bit more about ideas as well, about the growth of ideas. When we're talking about our networks, I think obviously there are going to be some similarities in terms of if you have an idea that you want to grow, you do need to talk to different kinds of people. But I think you had this really interesting kind of take on how ideas grow, in fact, and how people change as well. It was, um, I, I think it was research that you presented from someone else, possibly. Could you talk a little bit about that, how it is that we can nurture the growth of an idea through our network? Yeah. Um, in fact, there, there's a great book, um, I think Stephen Johnson called Where Ideas Come From. Uh, and that, that book really talks a lot about networks and he uses different terms. He uses li- liquid networks and he talks about the adjacent possible, which is, I think, the, the concept that you're referring to. Um, but uh, there, there's also um, a professor from, um, from Said Business School at Oxford who did some research, his name, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Anyway, um, he, uh, so there's researcher at, at Oxford and he talks about how a network actually shapes an idea. So the, the network that you're embedded in. So imagine you have an idea for something and you talk to the people in your network and they all think it's a terrible idea. It could be that you are embedded in a network that doesn't value that idea, or it could be it, it actually is a bad idea, right? I think it is sometimes very hard to tell the difference. And that's in part because if you're embedded in a tight-knit community that all has one perspective and they can't understand why this would be irrelevant, but if you were embedded in a different network with a totally different perspective, then then obviously, then suddenly they're like, oh, wow, this makes a ton of sense because this is relevant to us. And so I think that um, ideas are heavily shaped by the network that they are embedded in. Cause obviously the, the first time, the seed of the idea that you have evolves over many conversations and interactions with the world. Um, but what you even know to be possible is, um, is where the adjacent possible comes in. And, and I like this concept because it's, it's come, it comes from evolutionary biology. It's a Stuart Hoffman and he figured out that Everything that exists in the world and and what comes next is adjacent to the things that already exist. And this works both in the context of things that are completely novel to everybody in the world, but it also, and probably more importantly for this audience, it's, it's relevant in situations where something might exist in the world, but you don't know about it. Right. And so I had a scenario actually when I was living in Hong Kong where I um, would go around telling people. I want to be to startups what a producer is to boy bands. And my friends in Hong Kong would be like, but that job doesn't exist. So what are you actually going to go do? Right. And it turned out that job did exist. It just didn't exist in Hong Kong yet. And it didn't exist among my network. And so as soon as I met somebody who happened to be that guy on the stage that I mentioned earlier the, at the conference, and I said to him the same thing, and he's like, well, that's exactly what we're trying to do. And so suddenly, you know, 
because I had met him, because I didn't know how to Google this thing that I wanted to do because I didn't know what the words were. I met this person and he said, actually, that is the thing we're trying to do. And that is a thing and it exists in the world. And so that's exactly what the adjacent possible is all about. I love that. It's just such a, a hopeful message, I feel, because it, it just it just shows that, you know, anything is actually possible if you if you are in the right kind of place and circumstances. So we just have to we have to actually focus on creating the environment and the, the kind of network to nurture these things and not let go of our our dreams, essentially, because people around us are telling us that it, that it, it can't work out. I, I, I can say from, from my experience as well, that just my, even my, my plans to leave medicine, depending on who I talk to would be, you know, either shut down or I would be encouraged and told, you know, yeah, you can do other things. You can, there's plenty of ways that you can apply your knowledge and your skills. And so it's yeah it's it's incredible and I, I think I also think of my sister she is um my my oldest sister she studied law but now she works for herself as a social media consultant so she's kind of working on the strategy for different companies and individuals to help them to you know just really connect people connect well with people on social media it was through seeing her career and how she was doing things and just her mentorship towards me as well that it became clear that it's actually possible to carve your career and end up wherever you want to just by a process of deciding what the next natural step is for you to take. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this idea of the adjacent possible. I wonder, you know, what you would say for someone who, who doesn't know the words yet to Google, like you said. <laughs> They have an idea in their mind and no one else around it can validate that idea. How would you, how would you begin to explore or, or find the, the kind of person who would know what you're talking about? Um, if, if it for you, for example, it's, it kind of seems that it was very serendipitous that you met this person. But um, if you could go back and you, you really wanted to make your dream happen and you've thought that it was possible you just wanted to find that person who could kind of validate that for you how would you go about it I think I would and I'm a designer by training right so I think my my bias is towards identifying what do I think are the archetypes or use cases where this might be relevant and then go talk to people in that industry and and sort of say like I have this idea that this might be relevant in this context do you guys, does something like that exist? Do you use it? What do you think? Right. But, uh, but basically have some sort of, um, some prompt or some, something that they can play with, not like literally physically, but some ideas that they can play with and, and, um, and react to. Um, but I think, yeah, just identifying who might be the, where might that be relevant and then go have that informational interview. I think would be really, really powerful. So like, I mean, a very simple example is you're like, if, if you think that there's some interesting mo new model for how pet ownership might work, then going and talking to people who own pet stores and people who are veterinarians and people who own dogs and people, you know what I mean? And people who work for companies that, uh, that provide SaaS services to that community seems way more likely than just talking to your four friends, none of whom have pets, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. 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 
we 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 know that diversity is important, but we also know that we need to take steps to harness our diversity. So in the NHS, for example, it's very diverse. This is our healthcare system in the UK, but we are dealing with massive health inequalities at the same time as having a very diverse workforce. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on how we can better harness diversity to create real change. What I see a lot of, and I often talk about in the context of of structural inequality, which shows up in many different contexts, including healthcare, is is actually wanting, so people often talk about redistribution of, of wealth, right, is a, a really common path that this, this conversation goes down. And I always say, well, what about redistribution of ties, meaning relationships, right? And so I think um, if you are, and, you, and maybe I have a lot more experience with like a U.S. healthcare system, but if you know somebody who knows somebody who's aware of a doctor or a treatment or a pilot program or a clinical trial or whatever, right? Then you're suddenly getting access to healthcare outcomes that the other, other people are not getting access to. And so, um, and I think it also goes back to the idea we talked about before with the adjacent possible. If you're not aware that a treatment is available or a program is available or a, um, yeah, that, you know, that some solution to your condition is available, then you are going to be stuck in a situation where you're not getting the health outcomes you want. And that, um, and I think that that plays out structurally because of that inequality, right? Um, so I, I think anything that we can do to address that can be incredibly powerful, but is also really challenging because that tends to not be the obvious go-to solution. But you often do see, um, you know, and, and one of the most common examples, I think, in healthcare for, for outcomes like community-based or peer-based um, solutions is when it's a bit of an orphan disease, where there just aren't enough people who have it for like the big name um, companies to be putting effort and attention to trying to solve it. Then they tend to actually band together and they learn as a group how to mitigate the worst of, of the condition that they have, right? And so I think that sort of peer learning or that sort of um, peer interaction can be quite powerful in those sorts of contexts. And I think it would be very interesting to apply them in other contexts where possible. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is, uh, and I remember one of the, the questions that you had put in, in the message to me was about what what um, healthcare professionals could be learning that would help them think about this from a network perspective. And the thing that comes to mind for me is, is social determinants of health, right? Like we, we now know and have known for a really long time that the social context drives healthcare out- outcomes in many ways, yet somehow that doesn't seem, we don't seem to apply that as much as we could. In, in the healthcare system, um, in the way we treat um, patients, the way we, oh, and, and the way individual citizens decide to take care of their own health, right? And so I think that uh, more education around this would have a, a huge impact, both in the original question that you answered, but as well as, um, you know, supporting future healthcare professionals and, and generations of individuals that are inevitably gonna have conditions. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with so much of what you said. I think 
with the networks of, or the kind of the peer learning between patients, I I think that there's actually a, there's a huge that's a huge area that there's there's definitely some of that happening already, but there's there's so much more that can be done in that in that kind of area where you know it, I think it would be helpful to have clinicians perhaps facilitate facilitating these kinds of relationships and. Obviously, we don't want to spread one person to spread like misinformation throughout if say it was like a, a group online or something like that, and you still want it to be kind of moderated but but definitely there's a lot to be said for just bringing people together who are kind of all experiencing the same thing, and like you say, with the social determinants as well it's I remember how it was taught in medical school, and i I did not at that time really fully grasp just how all encompassing these social determinants are actually it was obviously um, it's it's not um it's not a a kind of criticism against my my medical school obviously there's a lot to teach us but it was kind of a, a module if you like rather than the foundation of everything <laughs> and and it really should be the foundation of everything <laughs> i mean now like if you have the harvard longitudinal study that basically has said the strength of your personal relationships is is the difference you know is is more important than how many cigarettes you smoke a day then it's kind of like okay well maybe we should be thinking more about this um and i, I would be crazy if i didn't mention so one of the guys that um i actually had him on my pad, podcast a while back uh dr amar dahand he actually does research around social networks and how that drives outcomes particularly around stroke patients but but more broadly and he really has some very specific findings around size and shape of your social network and what that means for for certain health outcomes. And so, and, and, and to him, he's he basically said, if we could put a little social network map in everybody's file, so we had a sense of, well, what sort of support do they have to, to deal with the condition that they've just been diagnosed with? Um, oh my gosh how much it would change things, right? And it, it just feels like we have these, all these very simple, obvious tools and we're just not harnessing. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I, I'm, I'm even imagining we have like these, we call them like a clocking, a medical clocking. When people come in, they get like a booklet and you you do their medical history and their social history, all these kinds of things. And there's usually like like a whole page that's for um just kind of their past medical history and such. And that's absolutely the place where we should draw kind of a little network map map in there as well um I would have I you know if I was the the next doctor flicking through who had to like now suddenly get to know somebody new how much context that gives and you know yeah we should we should absolutely be asking these questions about people's you know their circles around them and the support that they're getting it's it's such a, a useful useful thing for us to understand for sure so talking a little bit more about the the healthcare system um, I think it's the same from from what I can tell in the US as well. There's there's very low morale at the moment when it comes to healthcare for the people who are working in it. And so I'm really interested to get your thoughts on this because I know that you have talked about designing cultures essentially. And I I I'd love to know if if someone came to you with a with a brief about around designing a culture, what steps would you 
take to start designing a culture that's more empowering to clinicians and helps to build resilience against burnout? It's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think, I, I guess because I come at it from a network perspective, I probably would want to map the existing network and understand who is interacting with who, where might there be key person risk, where are there lines of communication that don't seem to be open? Like, is it too hierarchical? Is there, you know, who has the soft power um, in this network? And use that as a means of identifying where where the opportunities lie to shift things. Um, But of course, it's not only about the structure, it's also about what is being communicated, right? So the what are the values? What are the behaviors? What, what things get rewarded? What things don't, right? So I think there's actually a really cool, um, uh, so there's this company called The Ready, and they have what they call an organizational operating system map. And it talks about all the different sort of buckets of activities that drive um, organizational design and, and organizational behavior and, and as a result, culture. And so figuring out where does power lie? What gets rewarded? How, how are people rewarded? What, where, you know, who has access to information? Who doesn't? You know, what gets communicated? What doesn't, right? So I think I would be wanting to do a, the digging on the qualitative side as well as on the structure side and then figure out where is there an opportunity to, to start to make a shift. Um, but uh, those are, at least those would be the starting points that I, I would look at. But, uh, but I think that, yeah, oftentimes, and you see this in not only in the healthcare system, but many organizations where there's some policy and it's just like, well, that's the way we've always done it, right? And, and it drives a, um, a certain behavior or incentive structure that is counterproductive and nobody really realizes it. And then as soon as you point it out and you say, well, doesn't that make people do X? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's probably not good. Right. And, but it's but it's almost, it's like kind of pointing at those uh, sacred cows, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I love that. I think there is just there's so much of what you said that I think is applicable in our healthcare system. And um, I mean, the healthcare system as a whole is is a is like a really big expansive kind of um kind of organization with so many different moving parts to it already but i i would really love to see what this looks like at least if we could look at just a ward you know one ward in a hospital um just kind of pulling that apart and and looking at the power structures and and the relationships and and what gets rewarded all of these kinds of things i think there would be so much that we could learn from that I can say anecdotally just how much pressure there is to just keep working. I don't know if it's rewarded, but I know that there's more punishment. I would say there's more punishment than reward <laughs> as as a thing. It, it would just be so great to put these things down on paper. And when when we start to, when we actually start to objectively write these things down, I think we can start to think about how we can change them. What what can we objectively do to change these things? So um, that could be a really interesting exercise. It's giving me lots of great ideas. I'm going to check out the ready, as you said. So finally, we, we've talked a little bit about this already. Um, you talked about social determinants and 
just having more of a focus on that for people who are upcoming in the healthcare industry who are students at the moment. But I wonder if you have any other thoughts. So I'd, I'd love you to just imagine that you are the dean of a university and you can influence the curriculum for healthcare students in any way that you see fit. What would you want them to learn about networks and how would you want them to learn it to help them to lead more fulfilling and impactful careers? So, I mean, and hopefully this isn't too much of a cop-out, but I think the thing that I notice often about individuals who have very, very rigorous academic programs is they get very stuck in the idea that it's what you know and not who you know. And, and so I think that in order, and, and for me, when I'm teaching about networks, it's very obvious to me if, if people have not yet got on board with the idea that what they know, is, uh, that who they know is important, then I'm never going to convince them that who those people know is also important, right? So like that the wider network is important. And so I think getting over that first hump, at which for most people needs to be quite a visceral personal experience. So maybe it's some sort of reflective mechanism that helps people acknowledge that, yes, what you know is really important. And we're going to teach you a lot of things that are going to be very, very important in your, in your career. But at the same time, who you know also drives outcomes. And let's also reflect on that and think about how that happens for you as an individual and how that might extend to your peers and how that might extend to your patients and the system at large. And so I think if you can start there and really not have an intellectual understanding of that, that transition, but a visceral, you know, experiential understanding, then it unlocks a willingness to absorb, just as you said, social determinants of health and being like, oh, this actually isn't just a module. This is really foundational. And if I don't consider this, then the other things that I'm trying to do aren't going to matter. Like you can prescribe medicine to somebody but if, if they're not very good at remembering and they have no social support structure that's going to help them remember to take the medicine, they are not going to take the medicine and it's not going to matter that you prescribe the right one. And so I think it's this sort of shift that I would wish. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that I can completely see elements of what you're saying, what you describe about a, a rigorous kind of academic upbringing and everything in myself as well I can I can see myself and what you're describing and for me it has been a very gradual process over years and kind of chipping away at this kind of mindset and I would love to see how we can speed that up I think that would probably that would have probably been the most useful thing for me at an earlier much earlier stage if I could have kind of flipped that as quickly as possible um rather than this kind of very slow process of attrition um, as as grateful as I am for my my journey, I think it was for me, you know, changing career, starting off as well, moving into a new field, and that there, there've been you know various instances where I realized how important it was to nurture my network as much as possible. And I, I think it was even just something that I heard from someone. They were just kind of describing reasons why people who are very hardworking might not actually succeed. <laughs> And I think number one was like, you don't network nearly as much as you should do. And, um, and they kind of had a list of other things that people were doing. I was like, I'm doing all of these things, but I wasn't networking. And that really kind of drove home for me. Um, I wonder what you think about a board game <laughs> or, <laughs> or some kind of 
theater workshop or something like that. I, I don't know. I feel like there's just some some kind of experience or yeah, um, something like that 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 should be created that would really kind of show this to people um in a in a very practical kind of way. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's a great question. And I honestly like the number of times I ask myself this question because I I'm so terrible. Like there is no amount of storytelling and data that I can throw at somebody to make them change their mind. They like really just need to have some, you know, experience of it for themselves. And usually in a situation where it has had a huge impact, like gotten them a job or um, gotten them a partner or gotten them some major outcome in their life. But I, I don't know how to like mimic that in a, in a contained environment, like in a, you know, in a class so that they have that experience. And then suddenly they view the world through, you know, they've drunk the juice and they now view the world the way I do it. Yeah. There needs to be, there needs to be some kind of network monopoly board game or something like that to make it happen. But yeah, we'll, we will get there eventually. We've seeded the idea. Okay, thank you so, so much for your time, Erica. Where can people learn more about you if they are wanting to know more about Reliance Project and the work that you do? Yeah, well, they can go to therelianceproject.com and and check it out. And if they, there is a way to like send me a chat on there. They're also welcome to find me on LinkedIn, um, Erica Young. And uh, and send a direct message. I usually reply if it's a, a heartfelt and and considered message. I do reply. Um, and uh, yeah, happy to have conversations. I love talking about this, so I could talk about it all day long. Thank you so much. And I should mention as well, we didn't talk about this, but your podcast is incredible, and there are, all of the episodes are there on your website. I implore everyone listening to this to to check out the podcast as well. So go to RelianceProject.com for sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brand New Doctor. I hope it inspired you in your personal journey. Check out the notes for a summary of the show with all of the important links. And if you enjoyed this, 